My name is Matthew Fort, and this is my daughter Lois. And my name is Lois Fort, and this is my dad, Matthew. Welcome to the latest episode of Thoughts on Food. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about a subject of which my father knows nothing. Restaurants. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. I feel I'm just a beginner. No, restaurants. Where have I, I have spent a disproportionate amount of my time and income? Well, so some, of, some of that has been for work. Some of that has been in your professional interest. Well, I, I think I have been unbelievably lucky to be able to combine or turn what was always a passion into a job because it's given me access to to restaurants uh, that I would probably never otherwise have gone to. Absolutely. And and same for me. I mean, I've been incredibly lucky to ride on the coattails because there's no way I would have been to been to these places without your career in, in, in the industry. So, you know, we, we, we are lucky for that. Definitely. All I can say is that I think if I'd had to pay for all those restaurants myself, I would have had no coattails for you to ride on. That's very true. We wouldn't have been walking in the doors, that's for sure. Restaurants have played an extraordinarily important part in my life and they're having become, and I'm really happy to say this, an increasingly important part of social life as well. Mm. I mean, Mm. you spend quite a lot of time in them, don't you, now? I do, yeah. I mean, you know, much like much like many many people that's where I go to avoid cooking myself to be cooked for to congregate with friends to try something new that's always a big one where can we go and try something new so these are the reasons why, why why do you how do you choose a restaurant I think it depends well first of all you know you start with why are you going out is it a weeknight dinner and you just fancy a bit of a treat I mean, I think that's the bit. That's the big reason we all ultimately go to restaurants, isn't it? We'd want a bit of a treat. We're not doing the work ourselves. We don't have to clear up. We don't have to cook. We don't have to think of what we want to eat. You know, there's something. You know, we all talk about being stultified by choice generally in life. But if you think about it, a menu, as long as it's not one of those ridiculously long ones, a menu narrows down your options. These are your few choices, rather than the world is your oyster. It's quite nice. Uh, what should we make up to cook? Shall we go Chinese? Shall we go Indian? Shall we go Lebanese? Yeah. Shall we go... No, I, I agree with you there. Although I, I do confess that I do think that choice is the enemy and a lot of menus could be greatly improved by downsizing and, and it because it prevents you from having menu envy. Have you ever suffered from menu envy when you oh. see... Big time the, menu envy. You see the dish being ch- carried over to someone else's table, <laughs> and then you think, oh, "Oh, why didn't I have that? Why didn't I have that?" It's a you know big time food order envy. But it's mm. funny because you, having eaten in many restaurants with you in my life, I've learnt from you, and you. I guess you did this because of reviewing. So when we used to go out for dinner and you were reviewing something, it was not optimum for anyone to duplicate an order because then you're not spreading what you're tasting. So it was always, "Well, if you're having this, I'll have this." So. I've learned to do that generally. If I'm just out for dinner with friends, I always try and order something different to someone else. It's sort of interesting, I think, that because the, the reason why we go out, the excuse that we go out to eat is to eat uh, eat food that we wouldn't normally eat. But the reason mm. why when we come to choose the restaurant, all research suggests, is that food comes well down the list of priorities. That, you know, that, that price, convenience, um, atmosphere, service, all come higher up the agenda than, than food does. I mean, service is such a big one. 
because so many of us will choose to go to our old faithful or our neighborhood restaurant or the one where the waiters know us, etc., etc. Because when you walk in and despite the fact that you've chosen not to eat at home, you feel at home. So well, we go to we go for that. All those restaurants where the waiter pretends that he knows you, which I have yes. been subjected to in, in the past. Now, I think that the services, service is the point at which um, the, both the customer and the restaurant actually interface, isn't it? Yes. You know, yes. They bring you food, they treat you, and how that relationship develops is absolutely critical, I think, to the way in which the success or, or, or otherwise of a, of a meal out. I agree. And I think that, you know, for lots of people, I think probably myself included, is if you walk away from a, you know, quote unquote, bad restaurant experience, but it was bad because the food wasn't great compared to it was bad because the service was rubbish. I think we're all a bit more forgiving about the food than we are about the service. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, the trouble is that we only really notice the service when it's bad. You know, that's a great good point, service, yes. It's almost invisible. So, you know, when everything runs smoothly, what do I got to worry about? You know, you're just yeah. being carried along on this great limousine of luxury. Um, oh, quickly, while you're talking about invisible service, do you remember when we were in New York about six years ago and we went to, I can't remember the name of the restaurant now, you'll remember it, and I possibly to do with a few glasses of wine at lunch, tipped over my glass of water. Do you remember <laughs> yes, this? And yes. it was as if, I don't know what happened, it was as if a team of invisible waiters that I had not known were there swooped in and in the course of, I would say, under 15 seconds, managed to, almost without noise, without anything, change the tablecloth without anyone having to lift up a utensil. It was unbelievable. Well, I think that, that, that um, you know, it's the sort of thing you do remember are those. And I think that in America is that the, the quality of service, generally speaking, is much higher than it is, generally speaking, in the UK. Yeah. They found that balance between, between familiarity or relaxed service and also high professionalism that it's much more, I think, come across much more rarely in, in the UK. Well, also because the, the States have got that tip culture in a way that we don't have here. So you can earn tremendously as, as a waiter, or as they call it, a server there, um, less so than you do here. I must say, I did have my own moments as, as a waiter. I thought when I first started reviewing restaurants, I should, I should know how a restaurant kitchen worked and how a front of house actually works. I went and yeah. did... Uh, a week stage, as it was called, both to cook in the Manoir Cat Saison as a waiter in the, in the Gavroche. And I always remember that I, when I arrived on day one, one of the regulars called over Silvano Giraldin, the legendary maitre d', and said to Silvano, who's the old bloke you've got working for you? <laughs> but on the last day, I was standing at the bottom of the stairs, the Gavroche dining room was downstairs, I was standing at the bottom of the stairs, and this man of military bearing, uh, crossed the room, you know, having finished his dinner, came up to me, ignoring all the hierarchy of waiters, and shook me warmly by the hand and said, I just want to thank you for the most wonderful evening. Congratulations on keeping the standards of service at the Gavroche up to scratch. They just walked <laughs> off upstairs. I thought, it's never going to get any better than that. No, you, you peaked. That was the peak. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've been to a lot of restaurants together. Do you, do you remember any of them in particular? Lots of them. Um, I mean, I think there's scales, aren't there? Because we've we've been to some outstanding 
famous, mind-blowing experiences like the Fat Duck. Uh, but we've also been to, do you remember when I was little and we used to live in West London and our firm favourite, which I think was at least weekly, was the Yummy Yummy Noodle Bar? The Yummy Yummy Noodle Bar. It was an absolute classy act, actually. They didn't look it. Uh, no, it, it was amazing. It looked, it looked like uh, sort of uh, like theatrical jewellery. It was all glitter and and, yeah. and, uh, and glitz. But the food was always really fresh and beautifully yeah. prepared. And, and, and we got to know yeah. the owners and we chatted to them and it was familiar. And, you know, that's your classic example of, you know, there weren't any frills and it was easy on the wallet. But we went back again and again and again. And joy, joy in the restaurants is not necessarily about high end. I've always said, you know, is that you can have the greatest food ever cooked by a human being. And if the company is bad or the situation's ghastly, then it'll be ashes in the mouth. And you can have, mm. you know, shepherd's pie and Bulgarian merlot in a pub and the, you know, out in the middle of the, the countryside and, you know, with friends and family. And 40 years down the line, say, do you remember? Do you yeah. remember that? God, wasn't that a wonderful time? Uh, what you really want is a combination of great food <laughs> and you great do. and a wonderful and, time. And I think novelty comes in as well. Like, for example, that wonderful time that we went to that restaurant that you've got to get a boat to, well, like anything in Venice, but the what, Torcello, is it called Torcello? Oh, the Locanda Cipriani in Torcello. In Torcello. And you get quite a long sort of hour-long boat ride through the lagoon and there's a there's quite a hefty amount of, I'd say, build-up in anticipation. And you arrive on this tiny little island I guess we'll call it and then you have to walk and you walk down this funny little canal and over a bridge and then you get to this exquisite very unassuming garden where you sit under I can't remember what they were kind of flowers above us yes. on trellises and we just had and it was just some of the most bloody brilliant Italian cooking I've ever had but also, we do remember we had a, a brilliant waiter who, when mm. I went, when I ordered the wine, he said I ordered something. He said, "No, I, I wouldn't have that if I was in <laughs> in his Italian." And uh, he said, "I suggest this," and he suggested a wine which was cheaper than the one that I had ordered. Oh, yeah. I love that! After That's so that, brilliant. I was in his hands after that. I must say, I've had some of my happiest memories in restaurants in in Italy, in various parts of Italy. One in particular, I remember, which was on the platform of this station at Villa Rosa in the middle of Sicily. It's a, you know, in the middle of nowhere, this place. And you, you look out across the railing countryside. And a proper sit-down restaurant. Well, it wasn't a restaurant. It was, it was a table and a chair on the platform. <laughs> That's great. And, you know, and all the way there were sparrows twittering away and there was cats meowing, waiting for food from my table. And I had, and in the middle of this, in the middle of, of lunch, in the middle of the pasta course, actually, um, a train drew in, sleek, <laughs> modern train, where people got a... I might as well have been invisible. They just walked around me as if I wasn't oh, there. Brilliant. So it was an everyday event. Wow. But the food was really good. It wasn't sophisticated, but it was But it was such a It was such a happy occasion. I was really sorry to be on my own. I wanted everybody, yes. I wanted you to be there. You know. Yes. And I think that's really what, what, what great restaurant experiences do, is transport you to somewhere else. Totally. And, for, and and in different ways. I mean, if you think about, well, I mean, I think we were going to mention at some point Dorego's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, you, 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 Dorego's is really the other end of the spectrum. You, 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 you describe it. 
Well, no, I'm, I'm going to. Can I read you something? Because I wrote about yeah. it once. You know, um, this is what I said. That you could tell there's a fine sensibility at work in the kitchen, a cook who knows the pleasures of robust flavours and big textures and generous spirit. And for those who can't get their minds through the, around the fiery heat of the sausages or the rich, rank, boiled wool perfume of the salt cod or its macho saltiness, there are piri-piri kitchen chicken, sorry, piri-piri chicken and steaks and fish and chips, characteristically pale and soggy, and the excuse of a salad. But who cares because the warmth is here and the humour and the sense of well-being and affection and love. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> carried away uh, well, and I, know just, and I yeah. know just know that this is a time and a place and people I will remember forever wow there you go that's well that's what it is isn't it that's what it's about it is and to explain it for uh for the people who won't know what you're describing this is oh, a yeah. A, sh- uh, a shack, I suppose yeah. we call it. Maybe a sophisticated shack. Rather a grand uh, shack. A grand shack, but a shack nonetheless, mm. sitting on the banks of the river mouth of a river in the eastern Cape of South Africa. And you are in a, in a tiny village called Hamburg, and you are about 13 kilometres down a dirt track from a tarmac road which at that point you're still 100 kilometres in either direction from a town. So you're really, really remote. And this is the only establishment that serves food uh, in this tiny little village. And the reason it's Portuguese is because the well, the owner, who's now passed away, uh, was married to a Portuguese woman and she did the food. And, and she so did... It was, she did, and it was actually, it was wonderful food that she did. Mm, and they were such yeah. a wonderfully contrasting couple because she was neat and precise and always beautifully turned out and he was well not to put too fine upon it a bit of a slob he was he was this huge big afrikaans man who sat there he was never without a beer in his hand he was loud and gauche and hilarious and then yeah no she was she was maybe that she was the genius behind it in the end but the food was wonderful and really classic portuguese cooking but you know at sometimes it came out on paper plates if they hadn't been able to wash up or the water had run run dry and then there was a, then there was the um, there was the barman, um, Leslie, 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 a man who, if the end, world was going to end in thirty seconds, <laughs> would move any more slowly to pour you a drink. So uh, true. Oh, but we all we all forgive him. For, we forgave him for it. Yeah. Do you remember there was that pelican that used to sort of live on the sands on the sandbanks opposite the restaurant? Uh, but you see, yeah. the food was actually you know the the basic food was really good. Was really nice. Uh, the, the the frills, the, the vegetable side of things was a bit dodgy. Very good oysters. Vegetables I was a stretch. I think your description of an excuse for a salad was perfect. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what the salad was. Yeah. We're sort of going along here on on the sort of cheaper end, but we have been to some quite some quite showy places. We um, have, and, there was the, the, and perhaps you you could capture the magic of the fat duck. My goodness, I, I've written about it so often, and I love it so much. Well, I went to the fat duck for the first time when I was I can't remember exactly how old, but I'm going to say I was probably around ten. Mm. Uh, and that was the first time, that was quite early on in his experimental menu when there was the cauliflower and chocolate risotto. And it was when you could get the... Um, chocolate jelly, oh, cauliflower risotto with chocolate jelly. Yes, and, and it had cocoa powder. But then there was that fabulous dish, which actually was recently featured on on that programme about Heston, which was the, the jellies 
where one was orange and one was red and you're told that you were getting orange and beetroot. So, of course, you assume that they go in those colours, but actually they're using golden beetroot and blood orange and that was wonderful. <laughs> um, but the but the time, the, the last time that I went, which was m- much more recently, it was about four years ago, was with you. And by this point, he'd really evolved to you going on a journey mm. Um and it was it was all quite a it was all about nostalgia, and I didn't realise before we went that there'd been sort of a, an almost a pre-interview that they'd done with you, yeah. And you'd answered a few basic questions, and so we were sitting at the meal, and then at, at random points throughout the meal, something would come out that completely blew my mind. And one of them was when I think it was when it was there was the sort of breakfast dish. It was the cereal. It was the box. The cereal. Boxes of cereals, yes. And in one, either one of the boxes or something that came with the box. Turned yeah, you into, open, I'll tell you what. You, you opened yeah. the box, little box, because they, we used to have all these miniature boxes of cereals, multi pack, yeah. they were called. Um, and inside there was there were two little packets. One with the cornflakes in, which were made from parsnips, and the other one which contained four pieces of wood. That's it. Okay, so the four pieces of wood come out and we've got our lovely waiter who was with us kind of explaining what to do. And he says, listen, this is um, this is a puzzle for you to put together and you need to make a box. So I sat there and I kind of was fiddling with it and, and moving it around. And I, at that point, had only seen these four little pieces of wood. And then I sort of snapped the box together and the waiter just sort of gently said, oh, well done, uh, turn it over. I turned it over and it had been etched um 3d printing etched with my childhood dogs <laughs> which was just unbelievable and i and i have to say in that moment it was such a surprise it was so unexpected and it was my it was my doggies that i got a tear in my eye but you it was did. just you this extraordinary <laughs> way of bringing i, I completely understood what what Heston is doing about nostalgia and food and yes I wasn't eating the box but it came with a with a experience around food it was amazing it is because that is in the end what you know, all food is you know, it's in a context you go to a restaurant mm. there's a context there's a history mm. behind things the reasons why you're going there um, and and you go to different restaurants for for different purposes on different occasions. I mean, you know, if you want to go for a little intimate dinner à deux, you're unlikely to go to you know you're not going to go there with the the same sort of um, outing you would do with the blokes from the rugby club or whatever the no. female equivalent. Well, actually, the female equivalent now would be the rugby. Careful there, club. careful there. <laughs> or the lads, or the ladies from the rugby club. You know, exactly. um, yeah, you just you choose different reasons, and therefore you're looking for slightly different things and it's the way yeah. in which restaurants can fulfill I think those absolutely but I but yeah I mean that was that's theatre as well as it is going out for for in fact it's more theatre than it is going out for food and the fact what, is, what are your favorite restaurants of the moment um so oh actually my my top favorite restaurant as is Peter's and my partner is the one you introduced us to in Marylebone which is Clipstone yeah it's we a, it's... I just can't stop going back it's it's a small menu. You can do sharing plates if you want. The food is always absolutely delicious. The service is fantastic. They pretend they remember who you are, no matter who you are, which is great. You feel at home. Um, I've had similar experiences there where they where they they downsell me on something, you know. So they they'll say actually you've ordered a bit too much, or you can have a cheaper bottle of wine, which always just makes you feel kind of looked after. Uh, so I love Clipstone. I must say it's, it's interesting you mentioned Clipstone because it sort of illustrates the great change that I've seen in my in my lifetime. 
you know, when I first started going to restaurants way back, way back, I mean, really way back. Um, it was uh, f- French restaurants where, you know, the sort of top end, this is where you went to. If you went out, you went to a French restaurant with all the sort of yeah. formality and sort of uh, snootiness that that implies and the plushness and the silence and all that. And gradually over the period of, of, of my life, um, restaurants have become more and more democratic, more easier, more accessible, mm. more relaxed, more friendly, uh, you know, and, and you've gradually seen this. And really the 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 the, the great sort of uh, fashion for pop-up restaurants was the absolute, well, it wasn't the end of this because it still goes on, but, but you know, the idea of having a pop-up restaurant in 1965 would just have been unimaginable, really. Yeah. I mean, it didn't configure. And, and I think that's hugely to an improvement. And the other thing I would say is that we've seen a generation of British chefs come of age. So mm. that what we get is really, I mean, I think we're in the golden age of, of, of British chefs. I really do, do. Yeah, I do. I think that there are people doing, what happened was that they, rather than, be, they rather than, what, what the fact, the great thing that the fact up did was it it broke the, the the chains of us having to imitate the French or the Italians or the Indians or the Chinese or anybody else. We could cook what we wanted to cook or the chefs could cook what they wanted to cook. And so what you've mm. got is people of immense talent and great personality showing what food can do. And that's a really exciting thing in my book. <laughs> right. And you've, and you've been, you know, you've been around to witness it and part of the scene. So that's, that's, it's, you know, it's obviously been a, an incredible time to have had the career that you've had mm. and to get to go to all of these restaurants. So have you got any, anything you want to go and celebrate where you're going to dash out soon? Oh, that is a good question. Hadn't thought about that. Where am I going to go? To? Oh, I tell you where I would like to go to is, oh, he was a GBM guy, Fish, Hackney, Cornerstone. Oh, 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 Cornerstone. Uh, Tom I'd Brown. Like to go there. Tom Brown. Tom yeah. Brown. Very good. Yes. Like really, really talented. And um, yeah. Very... Oh, and, and also, I always want to go back to the Woolpack. You can't do a restaurant podcast without mentioning the Woolpack. And I'll hand over to you. The Woolpack at Slad. Now it is. It's it's a remarkable place. Um, it's it's a re- it's a it's a pub. It's just a pub. I say just a pub. It, it and it has that feeling that everything has been there in that way for at least a hundred years. Mm. In fact, it is the most tightly curated pub in probably in the length and breadth of the country. Everything, every screw mm. is worked on by Dan Chadwick, who owns it. And it's and it's beautifully run. And it has a really talented chef, Adam, in the kitchen. And it does sort of pub standards, but to a very high level. And then it does some non-pub things. Uh, also, And it's, and it's different. The menus change often. They're seasonal. They're, they're, they're unusual. He takes influences from lots of different styles of cooking. I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's the best pub food experience I've ever it's, had. It's a happy place. And do you know, although Dan may may uh, own it it's run by these young women who are unbelievably efficient and charming and it's actually yes. they're as close to the american experience as i as i probably have yeah no they, it's, it's brilliant it's absolutely it's a, brilliant it's a, it's a lovely it's a lovely place oh i wonder where i oh I, yes i've got slightly out of the over over covid i must say i haven't been out as out and about as much as i would like there seems to be an awful no. lot 
to catch and up. I, on. I tell you what, the one thing that will be different for you now booking restaurants is that you can do them under your real name. You used to have to book them under pseudonyms. <sighs> do you remember? <laughs> yes. And it was always it was always down to me, who is usually coming with you to review something, to phone them when we were in the car running late on you know the old school Nokia's, and mm. I'd phone them and before hands free, so I'd have to phone them and say, you know, I'm sorry, we're running late, and invariably. I had to do that on the days when you booked yourself in as Mr. Bond, which was so difficult to do without <laughs> laughing. <laughs> well, it was there, but sometimes I could, couldn't remember which name I'd used to book myself under because restaurants, yeah, you know, they frequent. get to know, you know, they get to know critics' pseudonyms and yes. um, uh, and telephone numbers, things like that. So I would always try and book under a name that wasn't my own, and then there were several set occasions. Um, <laughs> could I take by the name of Green? No green. Oh, uh, marks. No marks. Sorry, can I just have a look through your list and see yes. which one I am? <laughs> I had done that. I must say. Hi, darling. Oh, well, I think we could good. go on talking about this for a very for. Well, perhaps we will return to it. We can return to it. Yeah, there's so many funny okay. stories. Um, but perhaps we should talk about maybe what we've cooked this week. No, hold on. Before we talk about what we've cooked this week, I want to revisit from last week's episode mm. you you had homework which was to name your vegetarian pumpkin dish well i gave it a great deal of thought darling i had a great deal of thought and i decided because it was based on uh, an, an old idea i was going to call it chou farci ou poti marron that doesn't that oh sound. god that's ridiculous no one's going to be able to remember that well yeah but, but if i called it Stuffed cabbage with pumpkin. You know who's going to be interested in it in the first place? I think Choufarci ou Potimarron has a certain je ne sais quoi about it. Actually, it, it, it does. I came up with a name: the pumpkin bomb. <laughs> well, it, I must, it did look like one of those old-fashioned anarchist bombs. You know, <laughs> that little bit of you know, little bit of taper attached to the end, burning away. Yeah. Anyway, it went down very well with the young man Good. who ate it, and I'm very happy. Okay, what's your what's your tip for the what's your sorry what's your dish for this week? So this week, uh, I cooked something I'd never cooked before, which is porchetta. Oh yes, Italian. So pork belly, loin of pork belly. Is that the right description? Loin of pork. Loin of or pork, pork or pork belly, uh, and you quite simply lay it flat. You make a lovely mixture of olive oil, herbs. I mean, I think you can probably use whatever you want, but I used uh, rosemary, thyme, lots of chopped garlic, some chilli, some fennel seeds, made that into a, an oily rub, rubbed the inside, the non-fat side of the pork, and then rolled it up, tied it with a string, chucked it in the oven. And actually, do you know what was interesting? It's because most of the recipes for this assume you're cooking for a lot of people so they give you they give you quantities and methods for four or five kilos of meat and we had sort of a 750 gram piece and you know who had a brilliant idea brilliant piece was tesco online used uh, a recipe called mini porchetta and they you create a trivet out of small white onions to kind of prop your piece of meat up so it doesn't kind of collapse because yeah. it's quite small and it worked really well until it was absolutely delicious. There was a moment in the middle where we um, took it out of the oven. It doesn't take a huge amount of imagination to imagine what a rolled up pork belly looked like. And Peter went, I said, how was it? Or how does it look? I wasn't in the room at the time. He went, um, slightly prolapsed. <laughs> well, of course, you know, porchetta is normally, if you find it in Italy, what they do is you find these lorries parked in markets 
and the back half of it is a is a spit quite often wood fired and you have a whole pig rotating on that that's that's porchetta ah okay and, so it's got that uh, use as well so it's a, you know it's it's a sort of uh, street food actually well, very um, tasty, and you end up with some nice crackling. What about well, you? My, my recipe, my recipe is is it's a doctored mayonnaise, and Ooh. I would, and I'm going to be very daring here because I can say you can make this with commercial mayonnaise. I shall name um, no names. Name no uh, names. But anyway, but what to which you add wasabi, ooh, and tarragon, fresh tarragon or dry tarragon? Well, either. Uh, preferably fresh, but this was given me by a friend of mine, and it's absolutely delicious. Any time you use mayonnaise, use yeah. just zip it up with a bit of wasabi, maybe a squeeze of lemon juice just to sharpen it as well. And that sounds away, fantastic. I'm going to do that. I think it's really good. And my tip, my tip of the week mm. is. In restaurants, it is my rule, absolute written in stone, that 50% of your bill will be alcohol or will be True. drink. Uh, if you more or less, maybe 48 for 52, unless you're going to go really high on high-end wines, that's going to be. So when you complain about how expensive restaurants are, <laughs> just have a look and see how much you drank. It's very true. I often look at that. And if you're, you know, if, if everyone around the table is just drinking a moderate amount, it does end up at being 50% of the bill. Okay. And my tip. tip also, also restaurant based is if you're struggling to know where to go or you can't decide uh, on either where to go or what to eat, stick to small plates and share because then you can experience a lot more. Oh, that's a very smart idea. We, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, actually, quite a lot of restaurants do that anyway, don't they? They've, exactly. They've realised they can charge you a bit more for a small mm. plate than they pro rata than they could for, for a large. Exactly, large but it's yeah. perfect because it takes advantage of the fact that you don't quite know what you want. You don't just want one thing, so go with someone else or a few other people. Order a few small things, and you can taste a bit of everything. Yeah, but then you think you're going to get you know, end up with a really cheap bill, and then you know, and then by the time you've eaten five dishes you know, at five pounds each, hang on a second, why is that forty pounds a head? Good. Lord. It wasn't. It wasn't a tip on how to eat on the cheap. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think that when you go to restaurants, you have to accept that this is you know, there's no point in spoiling the book for a heap of the tar. <laughs> oh, darling. Right. Well, I think there's we, as I say. We could probably ramble on this way for we could. a lot longer, but no. But it was a lovely walk down memory lane. And next time we're going to we're gonna take a, a, a bit of a turn and we're gonna talk about food waste. Food waste. Well yeah. and I can't think of anybody I would rather walk down those particular memories. Ditto. Yeah. That was fun, Dad. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. I'll speak next time. 